0: Hello, and welcome back to Everyday Oral Surgery. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. I'm an oral and max facial surgeon practicing in Denver, Colorado, and I really appreciate you tuning into the episode today. Thanks to all those who have emailed and texted me ideas about topics for the podcast or guests they wanna hear from. If you would like to be a guest on the show or know someone you'd like to hear from, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com. Also, please visit our website, everydayoralsurgery.com, if you'd like to search the podcast in an easier way by topic. We'd like to hear from everyone and really appreciate you guys listening. Keep in mind that everything we're discussing here is based on personal experience and opinions, so please supplement everything you're learning here with approved research studies. Without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. All right, welcome to another episode. Today, I'm with Dr. Jake stuckey He's an oral and maxillofacial surgery resident practicing at the Case Western Cleveland Residency, and this is yours truly, Dr. Grant Stukey, brother to Jake. Jake, thank you so much for joining us on another episode. Yeah, man, excited to be back. Excellent. Well, it's been a while since we did a podcast together. I'm excited for today's topic. I just wanted to catch up with you and see um, what's new going on in residency these days.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I don't know when the last time we talked was, but currently a third year, over halfway done through my third year, which means I'm halfway done with residency. Pretty cool. And Kevin's for the five years. So I recently rotated at Metro. That's one of our hospitals here in our system. And I was there for a couple months. It was really fun because I spent a month as the only resident there. So you're like the acting chief. You work really closely with the attendings and just get a ton of uh, good experience in the OR and in the clinic. And now I'm currently back. I'm doing my month on uh, PEDS anesthesia. So it's like a month dedicated just to PEDS and the pediatric OR here. It's been good. Also, two months ago, we had a little baby. So congrats. Thank you. It's the, our third. So little baby. Corey is here. He's actually sleeping in the room behind me so hopefully i don't wake him up oh that's awesome kids are a lot
0: of work but very rewarding and make it all worth it in my opinion yes got half the kids that you do <laughs> i'm not sure you want to strive to hit my level of parenting three uh, yes. sounds like a good number yes It's a good number at least right now only the mental jedi can withstand the constant parenting and vigilance that six children (laughs) requires (laughs) yes but no we're doing good he's a good he's a good kid okay good have you read any good books lately
1: or come upon any new good study material you want to share with us i've just been prepping for the om site so just reading that old classic we call it the green book right so it's the the green like oral maxillofacial surgery review book been a couple years since they updated it and I don't even think you can buy it in person anymore, but just been reading that, which is like classic OM-Site stuff. Been reading the Oral Boards Review Book in honor of all my friends who just took oral boards, which is very stressful. But you know, nothing too crazy. Very nice. Real quick for
0: some of our listeners and for you, a couple books I recently finished on Audible, which I highly recommend. The first is Never finished by David Goggins, such a legendary book. You read, I know Jake, after I did Can't Hurt Me. Oh, yeah, and that was he's just a crazy dude. Who a lot of people will disagree with some of his life choices and the techniques and things he has done. I more focus on just the message of always trying to find a way to get the job done, always trying to push beyond your limits because usually what you think is your limit really isn't your limit and if you push past it you find that you can kind of go further Mm -hmm. granted you got to be careful not hurt your body which he does and never finished but it's a cool message and, and and a great story for those who like to overcome trials and see conflict and things as kind of more of a a way to expand your horizons and to grow mentally and physically
1: nice That's really cool i'm definitely cool gonna check it out after i read his first one it was like Every day I feel like quotes would just pop into my head. I'd be like, "Nah, I don't know if I want to do that today." And then in my brain would be like, "You got to do something every day that you hate." It's like going oh, mm-hmm. do. "Oh, okay. <laughs> I better do this just to show life that I can do this." Exactly. Yeah, he's awesome. Actually, you know, I I, I don't know if we talked about it last time, you recommended that I read the uh, Cashflow Quadrant by yes. Robert Kiyosaki. I don't know one. if we ta- if we talked about it, but that I mean, I've been loving his books. It just like really opens your mind on the the different ways that you can make money and how we're kind of programmed and taught through school and just life to make it only one way, especially as, as doctors and dentists and surgeons, but opening your horizons, seeing the different things out there and how you can change your philosophy for making money is really cool.
0: Oh, absolutely. Love Kiyosaki's books. More kind of The way you think about money and the way you uh, Mm -hmm. go about earning money and and what you call a liability and an asset, you know, he talks about that in a lot of things and where you want to project yourself and what quadrant and stuff like that is really cool. Oh, yeah. Highly recommended for anyone who cares about that. And then another one, which is a series of health books I've read, I think I may have mentioned this, but I just read this book called The Energy Paradox. By Stephen Gundry, and he wrote The Plant Paradox and also Longevity Paradox. But he's got a lot of great information about how to eat healthy, and it's more kind of debunking myths around energy and longevity and showing what you should eat. One of his repeated quotes in there that I like is he basically says, The more important thing is what you're not eating as opposed to what you are eating. And so he says, okay, here's all the healthy stuff you should be eating that shows you, like, for example, olive oil is good for you, and the cruciferous vegetables, the cauliflower and broccoli and stuff. And those are good to eat. But the more important thing is that you stop eating the harmful substances such as processed sugar and and bread and kind of wheat that isn't nutritious. And just here's certain things that we thought were healthy, but showed it cause inflammation. And once you stop. Some of those things, the cravings go away and, and just overall is better for you. And I've read many other health authors that say very similar things to him, but I just like the way he says it and tells stories and shares his patient experiences. Thought it was pretty cool.
1: Nice. I do need to check those ones out. I'm more on the basics, macros, consume all the stuff that you probably don't. <laughs> but yeah, uh, so you can tolerate it. Exactly. <laughs> but I gotta read them and you know, give it a, a good ponder. Yes, exactly. It's
0: always worth, uh, at least, hearing the, the science and you can make your own decision, but... Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, the topic today that we're going to discuss is the importance of chair positioning. And I'm talking about the patient chair, but we'll also talk about the operator chair but I've been teaching more or at least covering the clinic at Denver health. And it's been awesome. Love working with the residents. It's so great to participate in, in that and learn stuff myself. But one thing I could probably walk into any residency program in the country and notice that there's a complete disregard for the importance of chair positioning. I don't think we're taught that very much, Maybe a professor here and there will say something. Hey, man, you gotta do something about that. But most residents, I feel like, are operating in pretty bad chair positions, and there's many adverse effects of not having a patient chair position properly. And so, I thought we could talk about some of these things. The first one, there's kind of three different points that chair position can affect, and and the first one. Which I've brought up on many episodes and talked about my own experience, but that is operator posture and how important it is for you to maintain a good posture, which in my mind is the surgeon having a straight spine with the shoulders back, head up, neck straight up, and kind of more erect position of your spine so that the loading on your neck and also on your lower spine is more straight down on your spine and not these like kind of levering forces that are really torquing on your your back and your discs and Mm -hmm. i've had have my own issues with that but i've seen many residents lately who have the chair very low and flat and themselves are much taller than me and so that just means that when the chair is so low and patients tip back that they have to accommodate their body to see, which means bending your neck over, bending your back over, bending your shoulders forward, and not only just forward, but also side. And it's like, oftentimes mm-hmm. I see people in what I call the question mark posture, which is not a very, very good position to be in where you, where you look like a human question mark. <laughs> right. That's a good way to wreck your back and your body six hours (laughs) straight (laughs) 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 crank and maybe even you can feel fine doing that but at some point after years and years of doing this you will feel the effects. And, and i'm in my 40s and almost every friend i have who is an oral medical surgeon says they have either back or neck problems or pains and i think a lot of it comes from chair positioning
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: I thought, you know, a couple of things to discuss are that when you tip the back of the chair up, you know, because a lot of these chairs, they all should have functionality where you can tip the back or tip the feet up or whatever, or the whole chair goes up, but tipping the back up. So, basically, what I do is I'm sitting more now with some of the back issues I have, but I sit and I have, I try to have the patient's mouth like, Maybe not completely at eye level, like so. My head is straight ahead when my back is up, but at least so that my head just has a slight downturn when I'm looking down. But my back is still completely erect, straight up. And my shoulders back, almost like maybe if you were to test your headlight. You know how people stick their thumbs mm-hmm. together and they kind of look at the the beam. Your elbows at ninety degree, right? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, having a position wherever that is, if you stand or sit, but having the patient. To a position where your elbows are kind of 90 degree, but also your head and neck has minimal bending to see. And that usually means patient up high and patient tipped forward. The technical note on that, of course, is that when they're tipped forward, it's harder to do maxillary procedures Mm because the lingual is more hidden on those those maxillary things and so tipping a patient forward or back up is usually what i do for all mandibular procedures and extractions and implants it's great to tip them up but you kind of have to tip them back and then take the whole chair up to do maxillary procedures
1: on the same note you just got to be careful because if you go too high that your arms won't be hanging down and you can put stress on your shoulders from yeah. working up there so just yeah. having them rested Another thing is like, sometimes I feel like I'll see, I don't know if it's like a social media thing where you see they have people talking about posture just online, but people act like to have good posture, you got to be like tensing your back and like sitting way straight up. I mean, I feel most comfortable when I'm working and I'm just at a neutral posture, you know, like I'm not hunching over, leaning forward, but I'm also not like sitting as tall as I possibly can. Yeah. Just like you said, spines kind of straight up and loaded, but in a comfortable position.
0: Yeah, certainly not like. Shoulders so far back, or whatever, and that you're tensing your muscles behind your neck, and now your neck's cramping and your upper back's hurting. You don't want that either.
1: Mm -hmm. One thing that's that's also hard about these surgeries is like when you're in the OR, 99% of the time the patient's just laying totally flat. Yeah. And you can't really adjust the bed too much, although you can do shoulder rolls, Mm -hmm. neck positioning, get a good angle at it. But it definitely like taking out a bunch of teeth in the OR could be pretty bad for your posture Jesus! and thank goodness that
0: it takes so long between patients to get them back to the OR, so your body can kind
1: of renew itself <laughs> exactly but- well then so so here's a question for you when you're doing these procedures under local it's one thing but when you have a patient under sedation how do you keeping them in a good position for the maintaining their airway minimizing secretions and irrigation that goes down their throat but also having good visualization how far do you tip them back or do you have a a limit there
0: yeah and we'll talk about the airway a little bit more but i think that i see both it's almost like what i have seen of the people i've shadowed in the past is kind of like one or the other either the patient is super upright almost like the patient is sitting straight up because the operator or surgeon is so freaked out about them leaning back and having secretions going down their throat that they want them almost completely up but then now every time they take out a maxillary tooth they have to like do the whole crank your lumbar vertebrae to the the side and bend over and your whole body's upside down to try to get a tooth out mm-hmm. or they just go totally flat and the patient's flat and that they can look right at the maxillary teeth and see or sometimes even you know reverse Trendelenburg, upside down like, almost like you're in an astronaut type of a situation but no, for me, one one big thing is, I think I've mentioned this, but I have dynamic chair position. So I'm moving the chair a lot during my surgeries. And so I have them kind of halfway sitting up when I'm injecting. And let's say they're sedated and, and I'm injecting all four wisdom teeth, for example. And okay, we're good. I have a chinner suctioning. No, the chinner's holding and then the assistant is suctioning with usually flexible. We call it our slide ejector or yank hour. And then once we're done injecting, my foot is right by the pedal. So I have like the pedal to the right of my foot and then the drill pedal is a little bit kind of to the left. And so that's one thing is just keep the pedal right next to your foot where you can get to it. And don't be afraid of moving that chair a lot. So as soon as I'm done injecting, boom, I start leaning them back because I do the maxillary teeth first. So I do number one first. And then while they're back, you know, I have have the assistant suctioning. Well, I got my throat pack in before they lean back. I have the chinner doing a jaw thrust behind the angle of the mandible. So everything to get that airway open, you know, making sure the oxygen's on, etc. And then usually it's just a matter of seconds to get out the uh, wisdom tooth. But trying to do it quickly and efficiently and then bang, as soon as I got that tooth out, I'm sitting them forward and they're tipping them up. Okay. now I'm looking more down onto tooth number 32 site. And so it's, I'm trying to minimize the time they're flat back because i just don't want any, don't want to get in or near a laryngospasm or anything like that, but also being conscious of my posture, you know, I'm not bending my back, you know, totally sideways to see number one, because I'm too afraid to
1: tip the chair back. Mm-hmm. Do you move your chair at all or, or where do you what do you do? You know, sometimes, but it, it can be kind of difficult in the middle of a case to kind of pay attention to that stuff. Cause you might set the patient right for maybe your first tooth or for injecting. Next thing you know, while you're working, either you or if you're assisting and watching another person before you Over and they don't even realize it. So getting into that habit, I think just going and expecting, look, we all have those habits of this is what I do. I switch the body block at this time. I do the throat pack this way, incorporating to the fact that I'm going to move the chair this way just to make that part of your habit and make it so you don't have to realize when you're having such a bad posture because you set yourself up for that. Sometimes I will do that. One thing that I've been working on recently because of kind of what we've discussed and also just some experiences with patients is getting the before I start. Like you've told me multiple times, I always tell them before I push the first meds, go ahead and give me one big scoot up in the chair because most of them are slouching down. So they give a big scoot up and then we adjust the headrest. So it's right under kind of the right against the the neck, kind of helping them in like a slightly flexed neck position rather than the neck rest being way back. And then their neck's extended and their head's extended because then it puts them in a awkward position, both for you. And then also, you know, it seems like it's, it's much more difficult for the airway when their head's so far back there. So that's one thing that I've noticed helps with positioning is if you just have them scoot up and you get that headrest right at the very beginning, then for the rest of the case, like you said, maybe with moving the chair and other things, you could still have at least the patient in the most optimal head position. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because that is something I'm like a
0: broken record. Every patient, I'm like, even locals is like right before I'm about to do any injection. Hey, do you mind scooting up? Can you do me a favor and scoot up a little bit? Pause, let them scoot. Usually they don't even scoot up far enough that first time. Okay, just a little bit farther. Yep, keep going. Oh, perfect. You got it. Nice. And I do that with everybody because it really is so important for your posture to have them up. Because one issue is you know, the, the more they're down in the chair, the more the the chair itself is becoming now a barrier because they're low and now you're trying to extend your body further to see because now you got this big space of the chair that you're trying to kind of get over and then see. Whereas if they're up high and you're kind of, most of our chairs taper at the top kind of to mimic the shoulder position. You don't have those big shoulder things to bend over because they're up where they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And so you can save yourself from that standpoint of not having to bend over so far, but also now their head's actually on the headrest. And you can manipulate the headrest. That's the other thing is I, not only do I move the chair up and back, but I'm, I'm moving the headrest a lot. Our, ours are pretty easy to move. They just kind of click on the back. But oftentimes I'm moving their head forward into sniffing position. If they start coughing or, you know, there's any kind of reaction there that could lead to laryngospasm. Certainly once we're done, we sit them up more and then headrest goes forward and get them into sniffing position while they're recovering. That's another thing I just don't see very often. I don't see residents even touching the headrest, let alone the chair buttons on the ground. I feel like a resident. One problem is, as a resident, you're just kind of trained to to deal with what you got, you know. And you it's just it. that mentality of like, well, there's no assistance, or maybe there's one, but the chief gets the assistance, so it's just me in this room. And oh well, you know, there's no irrigation on the handpiece. So I, I guess, number
1: nine, I don't see that. We got an elevator
0: yeah kind yeah, of elevator well, it's broken off but i guess i could kind of use yeah it's like that well there's no bite block but i do got some gauze i could stuff in there and uses the bite block so it's just that mentality of like i think that kind of harms us as a resident sometimes when yes we do have chairs that move and there's a foot pedal and all this stuff but we just think well you know we kind of just gloss over and act like it's not important and deal with a like crappy chair position hmm So something that we need to be doing, use your chairs, move it around. The other day I was talking to a resident being like, sit the chair up. And so he's one of the more pliable residents who listens and he, okay. He he tried it and put the chair up, but then he's like, wow, this is like crazy high. Like uh, immediately the assistants are, are complaining. Oh my gosh, I can't see anything. I have no idea what's going on. And They were both just acting like this was torture, you know, to have the chair up so high. I'm like, but look at how you can see. Well, I can't quite see. Now I can't see over the lingual of the mandible. I can't see down on the lingual vestibule anymore because the patient's so high. And I'm like, well, do you need to see down on the lingual? I mean, you're just taking out 32. I know, but I can't see my forceps extending on the lingual. What if I'm pinching the lingual nerve? And so one um, assistant's got to get used to when they're seeing and sometimes that means getting them one of those little stools although mine have never used that even when i stand but two is being okay with not seeing every part of the tooth you know like the lingual for example or down in the lingual vestibule because it feels good yeah to see everything like that at a bird's eye view and you're 10 feet above the patient but you know you have to sacrifice some and, and being like have a clear, super nice view of the cut you're making on the buckle to me is more important than being able to see the lingual at the same time when you're not even dealing with the lingual. Do you, do you follow what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean like and when you st- when you use the forceps, you still just put the tooth on like the the lingual surface of the tooth and slide it down so you know you're not going to be grabbing the tissue. but oh. yeah, no, totally know what you're saying. The other thing is during the case, you should also direct the person who is chinning or head holding. To help move the patient's neck, right? So if, if you really can't see they're working on on the side towards you, you can have them turn them towards you or away. Sometimes what we'll do is if you're working on like an upper tooth, we'll have them put one hand on the chin, one hand on the forehead and kind of tilt their jaw and almost put a little bit of pressure, slide the mandible towards you and kind of, because sometimes it's it's tight where the coronoid is right next to the upper third molar. So just like some simple head positioning can also allow you to see a lot better without moving the chair, moving yourself. You can still be standing in a good position. Just It could be that the the patient's head is just turned really poorly. Yeah. So that's a good point
0: too. have who's ever chinning. And if you don't have a dedicated chinner, then, you know, having the assistant who's suctioning probably with one of their hands, they're supposed to be supporting the airway, have them work with you and be able to say okay turn toward me or do this or if the patient's awake talking to the patient you know i do that all the time when they're with locals hey can you turn just a little bit away from me or turn toward me or lift your chin up don't mm-hmm. be afraid to kind of direct the patient you know when they're awake to do what they need to do because 99 of patients want to help you right but mm-hmm. they need your guidance they need you to talk to them and I think a lot of us feel kind of awkward saying, hey, would you mind this? Or can you lift your chin up? or, And yeah, maybe you'll find a patient who's, who gets a little irritated. But in the end, you know, they're going to understand, hey, he only wants this to happen so he can do this procedure better. And of course, that's what I want as a patient.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. One thing I think might be helpful for us as residents is I feel like when it comes to the ergonomics, chair positioning, how we're standing, sometimes we're so focused on just getting the procedure done at all costs that every once in a while usually each program has one or maybe two of those attendings who who really care about this and they'll come in and tell you you're standing crooked stand up so you stand up you can't really see so then you you know they walk out and you bend back over but i think as residents if we if we made it an actual priority and we cared when people told us that we would actually try to to make a difference rather than just making them happy you know it's for our own good we're not just we're not just trying to make the attending happy who's who's looking at us bend over right it's for us
0: yeah and like you're saying it takes time you're you know as a resident you want to just get it over with that's the whole goal you know get the patient going get the tooth out get them discharged just get done with residency that's your goal to get to <laughs> get the whole experience over with in and out exactly <laughs> and sometimes you need to be able to say well If I keep doing this over and over, even just for the four to six years of residency, you can really hurt your back or your neck if you're repeated the same things over and over. So just taking literally 10, 15 seconds to put a chair up, to talk to the patient, you know, to talk to your chin or, hey, do this or that can save your body just so much uh, stress. So just one of those things you got to dedicate some time to, and it's not that much time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So that kind of, we talked a little bit about, you know, how the chair position benefits us and our posture as the surgeon. Second thing that we're, we've we just been touching on here is how it benefits our visibility as the surgeon, our ability to see. Because yes, if, if your chair is, for example, super low on the ground and you're six foot three, yeah, you can... Crank your back over and bend to see better. But still, in a lot of cases, you can't, there's no way you can bend enough to get as good a view as you could, as if the patient was up high and you were kind of right at eye level with the patient's mouth, or at least a lot closer to eye level. And so, just visibility is so much better if they're positioned closer to your head. A lot of people use vision enhancing
1: things like loops. Do you have any comments about using loops or what are your thoughts on that? We had to buy loops in dental school and we used them all throughout dental school just because they asked us to. As a resident for the first while, I didn't, but the more our attendings kind of stressed that they preferred us to, especially in the OR, started using them more and I actually like it. Is it 100% necessary to take out a tooth? You know, No, but once you get used to it, it, it can be pretty helpful in terms of forcing you to sit in a good posture because you don't need to get your nose in there. Our attending, Dr. Kreshi, is always saying, you know, you don't need to get your nose in the surgical field, get your nose field. And when you're wearing loops, you just can't do that because based on the way that they set the, the focal length, you need to give it a little space. So if you have them, which probably most people had to get them for dental school, you might as well just continue to, to use them. Maybe not in every scenario, but make it a habit to get used to them. Yeah.
0: And the beauty of loops are that you can really sit back more, right? You don't have to get the patient up so high and be staring right at and have your nose in the field. You can kind of have them a little bit lower
1: and have your head up straighter and just have more space. So can Mm -hmm. for sure help out. One question, I don't know if we were planning to get into this, but there's a lot of guys in my program who are well over six feet tall, very large guys. So I've noticed that the chairs that we have don't even actually go up high enough for them. Mm -hmm. They'll they'll put them up as high as they can and they still have to get into, you know, what we joke with and they call power stance where they're like, you know, legs 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 wide and they're kind of crouching down just a little bit because they're so tall to get a little more comfortable. But I'm sure there are oral surgery chairs out there. I guess this only applies to people who are building or buying practices, but looking into trying to get chairs that are more adjustable chairs with good headrest, chairs with arm straps. You know, we we have some that have arm straps and some that don't. And the ones that do are pretty nice that could be helpful during the procedure. But, you know, just something to consider. Not that we're going to get into too many details of that.
0: Yeah. I don't know why that's such a common theme. Like, why are so many oral surgery residents so tall? I don't know why. Yeah. they just are. Don't feel bad. Those who are regular height, like myself, are shorter. It's better for us in the end studies show we live longer when you're shorter (laughs) you can always use a stool you can't take take your legs off (laughs) that's right but no I thought about that a lot you know what does the super tall person do and with a chair that if you put if you're putting that up maximum height and you know you're still bending over really the next step is to sit down I know that's like a swear word neural surgery and we all learn standing oh my gosh and if anyone sat in residency they be ridiculed and humiliated and all this yeah. stuff. But <laughs> I think if you're tall, there's even tall stools they have. I use it's, it's these kind of taller stools to sit on. You got to do what you got to do to save your, your neck and your back. So don't be afraid to sit if you're super tall. Yeah,
1: that actually reminds me. It's funny. Uh, some of our chief friends came with one of them maybe a month or two ago. And it was taking out like a super high impacted maxillary molar. And he got into that. I call it like the banana, just totally off to the side, trying to look, can't see anything, starts to sweat just because it's just so high up there and the, the visualization and the postures just puts a lot of strain on you. So I said, Hey, my brother sits down sometimes for these, you know, it's almost like heresy, right? But he looks at me like, what? how dare you suggest that someone give me a chair okay Give me a chair fine so he sits down and of course the other chief walks in he's like dude what are you doing why are you sitting down and he's like stop, stop talking to me man just, just give me a second you know and he uses he takes a look and he's like man i can see everything <laughs> I, i'm sitting straight up check out this posture man and he just pops out the tooth and it was hilarious because for the rest of the day he was talking about how how we sat down during a procedure and it helps him up but the thing is like there's nothing wrong with with sitting down sometimes. I will occasionally, since I've seen you do it and how you apply it, don't do it for every single case, but especially for like those maxillary um, molars that are way far back there, or for cases that you really feel like you want to bend over, but you, maybe the patient can't lean back so far, you can sit down and almost look straight at them, and it gives you a totally different vantage point, and you're sitting straight up, so I thought that was funny. Yep.
0: And also a lot of people, a lot of surgeons will use kind of the usual dental chair, or if you're you know, a surgeon who travels and works in the dental office, you have to deal with a regular general dental chair. And those go much less higher than a surgical chair. And so those, I would say even more so you should be inclined to sitting down when you're using a chair like that. You know, Then that kind of gets you into the realm of the actual chair, if you do sit, you know, what type of chair you're sitting on, how you're sitting on that chair and all these things. I think something I've learned, most dental offices have pretty crappy chairs, even surgical offices. There's just not a lot of great chairs. Mm-hmm. But I think most will agree. I've read a lot of different blogs on this and articles that talk about this, but it seems like one issue with sitting it could also be bad for your back because sitting can put more kind of loading on your spine compared to standing straight up versus sitting straight up. But one issue that's really bad for you is if you're sitting in a chair where you're, you're sitting all the way back in the chair, and especially if the chair dips down in the backs of it and it forces your legs and kind of your thighs to be up higher than your, I guess you could say your femur hip joint. So if you're at an acute angle, if your femur compared to the angle of your spine is acute and it's bent up at that joint, that shows more loading on your spine and just more likely to do damage over time to your spine. And so that's why a lot of people who have studied this will say to sit forward in your chair, almost on the edge of your chair so that your legs can kind of be either 90 degree or even... Sometimes like I'll hang one of my legs down off the chair. It's hard to explain it without showing you, but have, dropping a leg down. So like my psoas muscle is, is open and you know, it's kind of stretched and you have a super obtuse angle on one of your legs and the other leg is kind of 90 degree, but all that is decreasing the stress and forces on your spine. So this is just technical notes for those who are gonna venture into the realm of sitting. Heaven forbid <laughs> we even discuss this in surgery. Right.
1: Situation. Most people just let that go in one ear out the other. But if you truly care yeah. about yourself, I would give it a shot. I have, and it's it's been awesome. Yep.
0: Okay, so that is a little bit about sitting visibility, and if your dental loops, I was going to add on the visibility end. There are surgical loops, things that have kind of a wider field, because I know that's one concern is. Sometimes the loops we got in dental school are are more narrow for looking at, you know, the crevices and the finding the cusp of carabelli. whereas (laughs) we want more of a broader view and we want to be able to kind of shift around and not be totally disoriented. Yeah. So look into that stuff. And then the third point would be position of the chair is kind of what we talked about earlier, which is it affects the patient airway and their positioning. Mm -hmm. And so... I think most residents who have the chair low and totally back flat, there's a lot more opportunity for the patient to kind of get into respiratory type challenges, such as secretions going back there, you know, blood, saliva, irrigation from the handpiece, all that stuff just is going straight to the back when you have them flat. Mm -hmm. Also, it's just if you did have to see down the back, like, for example, if I have a patient, you know, who's got secretions on them they're starting to kind of choke or gag and usually i'll grab a sweetheart or something to attract the tongue forward and almost like i could look straight on the the cords or very close to it that's very hard to do if the patient's head is and their back is flat and especially if you got the head hyperextended even further back compared to sitting up is it's just easier to see you're on anesthesia right now do you see People talking about the sniffing position or putting people into sniffing position.
1: Oh yeah. All the time. So at first I didn't really totally understand that because like we mentioned before, I first thought it was essentially looking up neck extended, head extended, right? Just straight up. And in reality, that's, that's definitely not it. And it's actually probably worse for the airway sitting straight forward. So you'll see, and all of us have seen when you go into the OR, they like to put, like a shoulder, almost like roll or pad under the shoulders. And then a nice pillow. A lot of places use like, something that's kind of tall. So what that does is it gets their head forward a little bit, flexion at the neck, and then it extends the head upward. And what that does is it like aligns the, the pharyngeal and the airway axis. So essentially just opens up the airway, right? They do that all the time. When you're rotating through anesthesia and you're intubating, one of the things first things that they showed me is if you put one hand on that patient's head, if they're not in the ideal position, you tilt that head up and lift it just slightly when you're have that uh, MAC blade in there. And it it just when you really get that hands on experience, you can see what that position is and the differences, it makes a huge difference. And then all when you're in the clinic and you'll see sometimes if you're not paying close attention or maybe the chinners unexperienced, you got to do the headrest, whatever, whatever it may be, you'll see that it's much more difficult for the patient to uh, keep that clear airway they'll start obstructing until you scoot that headrest forward and get that neck a little more forward yeah so a lot of good advantages to putting that
0: head forward getting in a sniffing position and just overall I think being conscious that chair position does affect the patient's airway mm-hmm. and especially if they're a big obese person and have lots of weight on them clearly sitting up more is going to decrease the weight that's compressing their lungs and their airway versus being flat. So there's just a lot of things that we should be aware of, especially if you're going to go back to, you know, be, have, have a chinner, have who knows what they're doing, have someone suctioning and a flexible or a slide ejector ready and clearing out the airway always, and then try to get them back sitting up. And I think recovery is another thing that chair position is often neglected. Once I finish, you know, we recover most of our patients in the same surgical or dental chair they're in. And so I I immediately sit them up, not all the way, but like maybe halfway, 45 degree angle. And, and, you know, once they're more awake and alert, okay, now you're going more towards whatever, 80 degree angle. We just kind of keep tipping you up and up so that your airways open, especially if you're a surgeon who's not going to be in there the whole time during recovery and you have an assistant especially if you got a new assistant who doesn't know what they're doing. You know, you want to do everything you can before you walk out of that room to ensure that they have the best chance of breathing well. And chair position is part of that equation.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, at, at the end of a case too, when you're all done, that patient's starting to wake up. Something as simple as turning their head into a comfortable position more on the side, you know, they no longer need to be in that sniffing position once they're starting to wake up. And if your head's back and your tongue's flopping backwards, it's, harder to breathe than if you're you know sitting partially up and your head's gently off to the side where you can just like you know obstructive sleep apnea is usually not as bad when you're a side sleeper versus a back sleeper you know getting them into a good position there is is helpful for as well yep
0: yeah we had like recovery chairs in our residency program here in our denver program it's they kind of move them over to an actual like hospital bed they do a good job you know of making sure the back is up in the chair but i think just being even more careful when you're moving a patient to a bed that you personally make sure you see that back tipped up and the patient's up and not having a patient flat on their back when they're you know still half asleep could be a dangerous equation so those are some of the points of chair position i would just say for the resident try to start this early and often i think a lot of times we think oh well it's just x amount of years i'll figure all this stuff out once i graduate and yeah it is possible to change your technique but one you know the just the years of residency can themselves take a toll on your body and two it's just harder to change you know the longer you do something the harder it is to get used to something new and so you kind of put yourself little behind the eight ball so to speak if you wait till you're in and you know practice and things like that before you start fiddling with the chair position and kind of figuring out what's best for your posture and visibility and the patient airway and all that stuff
1: mm-hmm. i mean residency is the time to to learn and to get your technique get it down because i mean how many people do you you know do things a certain way and they just say oh it's just how i was trained i've always done it this way you know yeah it's for like sure. once once you get used to something, it's it's pretty easy to just stick with it for the rest of your career. You know, not that I've had that, but I'm just talking to a lot of people. So as a resident, there's no better time than now to practice these principles. Exactly. Yep. So don't be afraid.
0: And then I think the other thing just to bring up is hopefully we all have attendings, people watching out for us that would support us as residents sitting or I don't know switching sides or 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 even just moving the chair. But if you know attending is I feel like getting on you for that. I feel like which I think would be rare but I'm sure there are attendings who are like, oh well this is how I do it, and it's always worked for me, so don't be moving that chair. I feel like if you have a frank conversation say, "Hey, you know, like my back's hurting or this is is going on, like this really helps me to do that," would it be okay if I try this or try that, I would think that a a quick conversation like that, most attendings would be supportive of you trying things that are going to help your body. And don't listen to the residents. You know, other residents, yeah, they're always going to give you crap about everything that you do. So who cares about what they're saying? Just make sure your attendings backing you up and they know what why you're doing what you're doing. It's something you got to start working with and be conscious of because it's something that you know, you're not going to find a, a chapter in Peterson's on chair position. It's just not going to be there. It's not going to be anyone really talking about this stuff in, in our literature. Maybe the next edition, you know, maybe you got this. Uh, I'm texting Malora, <laughs> Dr. Malora, as we speak. I'm sure he'll, he'll I want probably two, like... Two chapters,
1: one on chair position and one on the operator sitting down chair position.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure his response is going to be, great, sure, we'll do it. Okay, it's your job to write the chapter. Have it submitted to me by tomorrow morning. <laughs> anyways so it's a simple topic but can be very impactful in your career your life and things like that anyways that's a good topic if you have questions call me text me call jake text him we'll put our contact information in the show notes jake the last i know we've done rapid fire questions but what are you currently binge watching do you have any good shows you're watching
1: yes i've been watching quite a few actually just finished game of thrones and the house of dragons which i really like that i was late to the party so i just watched that and everyone everyone you get to join the cool club and then obviously i don't know if you've seen this the uh, last of us it's like that kind of zombie apocalypse show just came out on hbo one of the biggest openings since game of thrones just finished all those and then there's they're still actively coming out So there's a couple of different shows. I always love hearing suggestions and trying to check it out and catch up on, on shows.
0: Awesome. That's great. I was looking for good shows. One thing we recently watched was Wakanda forever. I thought that was a great movie. I'm a sucker for that stuff, how they kind of brought in uh, Chadwick Boseman's death and kind of honored him, you know, through part of the movie was Mm -hmm. pretty cool. I just thought that was awesome and then i am also sucker for um korean romantic comedy movies i don't know why i'm just they're so (laughs) hilarious so there's one called startup that's just really well done nice good stuff i also been watching the chosen i don't know for anyone who's interested in jesus christ's life and kind of whether you're a believer or not is really well done and it does a great job of kind of walking through the New Testament and that, that book is just super, super great and well done show. So that's that's
1: pretty cool. Yeah. I watched on a completely opposite note, Dark. <laughs> <laughs> uh Christ but, is light and you're watching Dark. Okay, go yes, on. Yes, yes. That show is very interesting. Not a comedy or anything like that, but it's a really interesting kind of mystery show. Watch the Ragnarok oh, yes. for your it's recommendation, a which was um, zealously waiting for the second season there kind of a more yeah. modern twist on old uh what is it like nordic mythology is
0: that right to yes yeah. yes i love that stuff i love mythology and the history and it's, yeah. it's cool to see it in a modern adaptation well good hopefully um give our listeners even more and stuff to to think about and do in their spare time exactly All right, my man. Well, let's reconnect soon, and hopefully this was helpful. We will. Thanks, Grant. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Once again, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com if you have any topics you'd like to hear about, guests you'd like to hear from. Or if you yourself would love to be a guest, please, please email me or text me at 720-441-6059. And I also just love hearing from people. If you enjoy the podcast or, you know, learn something from it or talk to a friend or connected with someone because of the podcast, that just makes my day. So please shoot that correspondence over to me and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you.